0: If you worry about what other people think, soon enough you will be on the sidelines of your life. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action and achieve epic results.
1: Now here's your host, Three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Millionaire Woman Show. I'm your host, Deborah Kozowski, and we are in for a treat. You know, we're always talking about life, leadership, and business, and ways that we can compete with our yesterday, how we can be the best version of ourselves and really, truly move forward. Today's guest I'm excited to bring to you from Australia. Emma McQueen is a business and executive coach who works with women to unlock their potential and value their worth. Emma is based in Melbourne and works with women across industries and sectors to move from overwhelm and inaction to clarity and results. Hogan accredited, Emma has over 20 years of experience in leadership, professional and personal development. Emma, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here.
0: Well, you know, I was calling your website because I'm going to admittedly tell everyone I came on the show an hour early thinking, where's Emma? And I thought, well, you know, while I'm waiting for Emma, <laughs> and she was on time and I was an hour early, gave me some extra prep time. So I actually, you know, was learning more about Emma and what she's up to, and I know she's got some fabulous things that she shares, um, not only with some of you listeners, but I know something that resonated mostly with me and, you know, reading more about Emma is that possibility thinking. And Emma, first of all, welcome to the show. And I'd love for you to just kick off with Telling us a little bit of what got you into this space of working with individuals and a little bit about what possibility means to you.
1: Yeah, I love that question. That's a great question. I'm very sorry you're waiting for an hour for me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I've always been a bit of an optimist, and I think that means that possibilities are endless, and um, I've been coaching for a long time and I coached uh, a number of execs at a large not-for-profit here in Australia. I'm on the Faculty of Women in Leadership Australia and I coached their women that they put through their program. And one of the things that I was seeing was women not understanding their own potential and possibilities. And it made me really sad because I don't have that. I have am this person who at the age of nine was selling icy poles on my front driveway i was the person that was always thinking of course we can do this i was the kid who was saying to my father at 15 i think i'd like to be a mechanic
0: Very <laughs> so, so you're yeah. always in the way of fixing things and seeing what we can do versus what we can't do.
1: Yes. And isn't that a better way to be? I think people light up when you start talking to them about their strengths. You know, the research shows us that if you focus on weaknesses, it gives you a 1% uplift. If you focus on strengths, it gives you a 10% uplift. I'm all about that.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. One of the descriptions you have of yourself is the girl with the half glass full. And the other day I was making a video about, well, what happens if I have a glass of water or a pitcher beside me that I just top that up. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I, it really is about that possibility, but how much more can we fill into our cup to realize how much more expansive we actually are versus having some of those limiting beliefs. So yeah. what do you believe really holds women back from achieving the success that they want?
1: Yeah, I think there's probably three things that hold women back. I think it's about confidence, I think it's about that pesky inner critic, and I think it's about lack of clarity. And um, you know, we could unpack all of those things, but the and and I think this by the way does impact men it just outworks in a really different way. So it's really interesting because I'm sure once you saw my website that you would have thought she's very pink and she only works with women, but I've got a great secret that I also work with men. (laughs) And I love that. I love that people have that perception of me and that's totally fine. And I am very pink because I'm super true to myself, right? I stepped out of corporate and I'm like, I want to have my own business. I want to have my own flexibility and I want to wear jeans every day. And I'm okay with that, right? And um, so I think for me, um, confidence um, is about playing to your strength right? It's like when you build a muscle, um, you know what your natural strengths are and then you leverage those strengths and you do it more and more and it gives you confidence. Also practice, right? We don't say practice makes perfect. I've tried not to use that term with my seven-year-old daughter because, you know, we don't want perfection. We just want to, you know, done's better than perfect, right? And I think then also this inner critic or imposter syndrome that kind of plays out and I do see it play out more for women than for men. And so it's how we acknowledge that and almost, um, you know, spit the words out and inspect the words and see, is that actually true or not? And I think people don't stop enough to do that because if they did, they go, oh, what, what, if ever is happening in my, in my brain at that moment isn't quite true. It's just what I'm believing. And then I think clarity is a massive, um, I have many people, especially women that come to me and they're business owners and they say to me, I just need someone to help me to get clarity. And I all think to myself, but you started your business. So but why is it that you need clarity? Then I realize that the irony is they're just too close to the situation, right? So what I can see is, oh, you can do A, B, C and D. And they're like, oh, my goodness, how come I couldn't see that? I'm like, you're just close, too close to the situation. And so I think those three things kind of hold us back because we get a bit paralyzed about actually how do we move forward with those things. Yeah. When I think about clarity, you know, when I send my, you know, husband or sons to the
0: pantry, it's like, well, I can't find it. Like, what are you you talking about? I'll walk in and I'll be like, it's right there. You know, so that's what it makes makes me feel like when you're saying that that clarity because we get so close to situations that we really don't know that it's right in front of us,
1: and sometimes yes. it's
0: a matter of asking the right question.
1: Right. Well, I was on a call with a client the other day, and I had set her some homework, and her homework was, "I want you to come up with a couple of packages that you think can make two hundred thousand dollars in the course of a year." She's like, "I can't do it." I'm like, "Yeah, of course you can." Let's just give it a crack because you can't edit a blank piece of paper, right? Let's just, anyway, we had the session. She came up with the three packages. I broke it down and I went, so this is how many you need to sell. And she's like, only that many? I'm like, yeah, only that many. And so she was like, great, I can do that. I'm like, okay, see ya. (laughs) And so sometimes I think it's just breaking things down into bite-sized pieces rather than going, whoa, I've got to do this whole thing. But that's actually, that might be the vision, but actually the implementation bits are a bit different.
0: Because I think people just get overwhelmed, right? You give them some a task to do and it's like, oh my gosh. First of all, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. Second of all, I'm not sure if I can do that. And that's when that self-doubt starts creeping in. And the third is, I've never done something like this before. What? Where do I even start? Yeah. So when um, you find... go, Oh, sorry, Emma, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I think... When I have those conversations with my clients, I'm like, this is just growth. This is what it feels like to have growing pains. And when I put it like that, they're like, oh, is that all it is? I'm like, yeah, that's all it is.
0: (laughs) And how do people move through those growing pains? With action. Yes. Right? So when we're talking about action, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is where do women get their confidence or that mojo or that, that spark within to really get more of what they want? And how like, how do they get more? Because I know sometimes as a business owner myself, I have gotten to certain places and just hit a plateau.
1: Yes. I think motivation, I think momentum trumps motivation. I think action trumps motivation. I don't know. I, I liken it to when people say to me, "I I'm going on a diet. And they're all gung-ho for the first two days. And then after that, they drop off the perch, right? Because the motivation doesn't last. So I say to my clients, I'm glad you're motivated about that, but let's put some really good habits in place so that when the motivation drops off, as it does, you've actually got some really good habits and discipline in place and we get some action happening. And I think that's the thing. I think we have to be thinking about Okay, what are the, what's just the next step, and the confidence grows, kind of like a snowball. So you know, snowballs start off really small, and then they gather, they gather more snow. And I think that's what happens when you just get on and take the action steps that you need to take, and then the the confidence comes, but the motivation might wane. But you're already gone, so it doesn't really matter. Motivation is a great thing at a point in time, but then it's kind of unhelpful. So I think I think it's about remembering your why. Why am I doing this and having that as the, I guess, anchor or the beacon. And then just taking those small steps to getting what it is that you want and remembering to play to your strengths. And I think it's different depending on where your business is at. I think in a startup, you have to do everything and that sucks. Do you remember when you had to do everything? Oh my goodness. I was like, as soon as I understood the figures. I got rid of that stuff because I just did not want to do the bookkeeping stuff. I like the sales and I like the delivery and that's all I wanted to do. And so I got rid of those things because they're not my strengths. Doesn't mean I don't care about them. It just means that someone else is better equipped to do them. And the further we go in our business, the the bigger the business grows, the more chance you have of outsourcing the bits that you're not that great at.
0: And one of the things that I have to say with that startup piece, when you are doing those things yourself, it's helpful when you're delegating because you also know that if something you delegate is going off track, how it should be. Yes. And then you can quickly, you know, course correct before it does some damage. Right. Yes. And having that knowledge and being in that startup position really benefits that. But I'm 100 percent in with you, Emma, but. As your business grows, when there is time and you understand your numbers that you can delegate, man, you'll be on fire. Yeah, absolutely. Someone else could be doing this. My time is worth this or that. (laughs) show up so much differently.
1: So much differently. And it's a lovely place to be in when you finally get to that place where you can delegate the things. But I agree with you. You have to know what you're delegating because otherwise, how do you measure success on it?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that I've witnessed in watching um, business owners and individuals grow, whether it be in career or in a business that they hit a certain level or they've gone through one challenge of growth and they might just hit another level of growth that they thought, wow, I don't even know if I can handle this. And they feel like they've kind of, you know, lost their mojo, that spark that they once had. What do you do to help people get back on track
1: to that space? Well, first, I think it's really good that we acknowledge it that there is this plateau going on and we're not sure why. And I think um, I think mindset plays a big part in actually just getting us back on track. And so I kind of go if someone comes to me and they say I've plateaued, I we diagnose the issue together. And to be honest, I ask some very basic questions to begin with, like how's your sleep. How's your exercise? How's your water intake? Right? How's your self-care? Because as women, we take care of everyone else and normally we come last. And so I want to make sure that those three things are in place. I've got a story on that. I had someone who came to me and her boss had rung me and said, Can you coach this person? I said, Yeah, no problems. I said, What am I coaching her on? And she's like, Oh, I don't know, just self-care. And I thought, it's a weird assignment, but anyway, I'm always up for something new. And so my client, um first the first meeting I said what do you want to work on and she's like oh well self-care I said okay well how much do you do and she's like of what I'm like of self-care like do you go and do something or you know anyway what I found out is she did no self-care so there's 168 hours in the week not one hour to herself because she's too busy running around after her hubby and her two children that was the first thing but if we go back a bit She had been suffering from migraines for six years. And I thought, well, of course you're not doing any self-care because when you're sick, you do the self-care. Because our bodies say to us, right, you're not looking after yourself. See ya, you're off to bed for a few days. And I said to her, okay, would you like to try and get rid of the migraines before we focus on the self-care? We went through the basics and um, I said to her, I need you to do these two things. One was about drinking extra water and one was about a better nighttime routine and just switching off her laptop a bit earlier and getting more sleep. A month later, I saw her. I'm like, how are the migraines? She goes, I haven't had a migraine. I'm like, hmm. And the fascinating thing for me was that she had been under medical doctors and naturopaths and all those type of people and no one had bothered to say, what are the basics? How are you going with the basics? And so eventually we got to a space where we finished coaching and she hadn't had a migraine in months. She hadn't had a headache in months. She was taking some hours of self-care and she was a much better person for it, right? But she would say she was in a plateau because her brain was always foggy from trying to get out of these migraines. I don't know if you suffer from migraines, but this this was a migraine where she had to go and lay in a dark room for days and just couldn't get rid of it. And depending on who you talk to about that, it's either that's her way to get self-care and what we need to do was deal with that so that she was less foggy and more clear. And from that, she just said, I'm feeling so much better because I don't have that stress of the migraine. And so I think sometimes other factors get in the way of our mojo and other factors get in the way of us growing our business. And so I always start with a bit of a, ordered a bit of a diagnosis about what's actually happening, not just in business, with life, because we have these life circumstances and they're all integrated these days. I mean, gone are the days where when I first started work, it was like, leave all your problems at the door. We're here to work and that's all we're here to do. And then somehow the pendulum swung this way and everyone was just far too much information. <laughs> and now I think we've come back a bit. But what everyone needs to realise is, is those all those things are integrated. And no more has that been evident when we've been working from home in a global pandemic, right? Wow. Absolutely. I know um, the clients that I've worked with,
0: it is really go back to the basics. Go back to taking care of you because that's basically what comes down to you. can't. And that oxygen max, you know, story Mm -hmm. that you get get on the airlines, if we're not looking after ourselves first, how can you expect to be able to fully and efficiently look after other people?
1: That's exactly right. And that's the reason I meditate first thing in the morning before the family get up. I've got three kids and a hubby and two dogs. It's a crazy household. But I get up first thing and that's what I do. I go and meditate because that's a signal to myself that I'm important and that's my time. And if anyone sees me meditating, they just kind of leave me alone. Or my seven-year-old will sometimes just come and sit on the couch quietly next to me and hold my hand, which I think is quite cute. But, you know, like it's just those things of saying to yourself, actually, I'm important and this is my oxygen mask and this is what I need.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and there again, you are being a role model, teaching those around you that they can do that same thing for themselves. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really important that we talk about self-care because I know when someone says to me, you know, you just got to love yourself more. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like I go for runs, I'm eating properly. You know, to me, I was doing all this self-care, but it also, in addition to some of these measures, it also comes down to using your voice, being able yeah. to set boundaries. So I'd yeah. love for you to touch on some of that and how that also is self-care.
1: Oh, yeah. I think boundary setting, what I found is women aren't that great at saying no. Um, I'm very good at saying no. So, And I'm very clear. In my book, I write about playing above the line and below the line. And so I feel like uh, in order to role model that, I need to always be playing above the line, even though sometimes you don't feel like playing above the line, right? But um, I think it's really important, and it's important to have those boundaries. And um, many women who come to me, And this one was a great example. Her children were 10 and 13 or something like that. And she was still getting up to make them breakfast, getting up to make them lunch. And I'm like, whoa, man, we need to put some boundaries here. This is not good. They're old enough to do that stuff. And and actually how we got around it was, are you raising resilient children? And she realized that actually maybe she wasn't. So she put a boundary in place. And she really struggled at the beginning to have any time to herself. So for three sessions, I asked her to have one hour, Deborah, one hour out of 168 to herself, and she could not do it. And I said to her, if you cannot take an hour for yourself, there is something really wrong. Now, she had to have conversations with her kids because the kids were like, well, why are you going out? And she's like, I'm going out because I need time to myself. And so she set that boundary. And then what happened after that was she booked a holiday for her and her husband, and the kids were like, we don't we need to go away. And she goes, we need this time to ourselves. So in the process of looking after herself, her boundaries just kind of uh, got, she got better at articulating what her boundaries were. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure this is why she didn't get grant anymore because she was being true to herself about what she was saying. And I've got a couple of clients and they're like, you're so clear about, you just cut through and you're really clear and your conversations are clear. I don't know about you, but I get invited to a stack of Facebook groups and different bits and pieces and I have had to say no. And I don't feel bad about that. But I, I I, will say to them, so someone asked me to join and they said, oh, if you'd like to join this Facebook group, blah, blah. I said, do you know what? Actually, I wouldn't like to join the Facebook group. Thank you so much for asking me. But I'm just not up for another group at this point in time. And they were like, you were so clear. I'm like, but being clear is kind. I think being clear is kind. And having those boundaries in place helps us to almost... um Remind ourselves that we're important. But I know that many women struggle with putting boundaries in place. I'm sure your clients struggle with putting some boundaries in place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and one of the most challenging things that I remember, you know, similar story to your client about making the lunches. And I'm like, I have a bin of granola bars. I have a bin of this. They know that where the fruit is, you know, maybe I might make some sandwiches the day before or there's leftovers. Otherwise, if you don't like any of that, you help yourself. But, um, you know, when you talk about raising resilient children, I think it's so important to demonstrate this fact of self-care and putting those boundaries. I'll never forget, you know, my kids, I just took my youngest to university and it's been just like a whole change of state for me. My other two live at home, but the youngest has left and he's very proud of making this big move to another province. Um, So it um, is quite a transition. And I have so much quiet time in this evening. um, But it feels empty. But one of the stories that I would share with um, the listeners here when it comes to boundaries, I remember it and it happened at 13. And the youngest one who has now moved away, he was smart. He never questioned me. But the other two, one time I needed a laundry basket and she was both 13 years old. And I it was folded clothes and she went and tipped it over right in front of me and I looked at her (laughs) and I'm like that's it from now on you're doing your own laundry I said do you realize that it took me time to fold that from that point onward she does her own clothes then there was this time where my older son he was like I take clothes downstairs and they never come back and I was just like, done. You're doing your own laundry. And then one day I heard the blow dryer going on and my son was in the bathroom. I said, when did you start using a blow dryer? He was blow drying his socks that he washed in the sink because he didn't go to the laundry room to wash his clothes. So I went downstairs with him, taught him how to use the washing machine. And I said, and by the way, you can't use my blow dryer. That's for my hair because you're going to burn out the motor and it's not going to dry your sock. Do you know how long it's going to take to dry your sock? But it was just entertainment at its finest, but at the same time it was boundary saying, this is not okay. Yeah, You have to be able to respect the work that I put in around here and not take it for granted. So, you know, all of them at 13 years old, done doing your own laundry.
1: Oh man, I need to do that. I mean, my, I've got, I've got three kids, 19, 21, and seven. But my seven-year-old, and I was telling this to my com- I said, my seven-year-old unpacks the dishwasher in the morning, gets her own breakfast, gets her own lunch, makes her bed and tidies her room before school. And your 10 and 13-year-old are just sitting back going, la, 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 her mom will do that. Like, it's not cool. <laughs> uh,
0: figuring out what age works for you, but if you train them early, you know, into making their beds and, you know, getting themselves some breakfast. I think that building that resiliency is so important. And then, yet, I will look at some of their friends and say, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm not doing too bad. Maybe, you know, I could have even started earlier um, like you have, and um, that would have even been more to my benefit. But it was really that learning about what I expected as myself. And I think that's where it comes with clarity and understanding the expectations we have for ourselves and what we set for others.
1: Yeah, and I think there's this other thing that um we don't talk about that much. We might talk about it with women, but we don't talk about it with our partners, which is that mental load of being a mum. Um, you know, I've got a my I don't cook. That's my disclaimer. Um I can't cook <laughs> and maybe now I've chosen not to cook. But my husband cooks, so he does all the cooking in our house. So I'm very I know that I am very blessed about this. And we do have a cleaner that comes in. And but what they don't see is, and I don't know if it's the same in your family, but like, okay, who's paying the school fees? Who's making sure that the uniforms are sorted? Who's got swimming gear? Who needs to get to gymnastic? Who needs to be collected? Who is The list goes on, right? And there's this mental load that he's never spoken about. And I had to say to my husband, and he's awesome, but I had to say to him, I, I carry this load around. He's like, what is it? What's in there? And I, I told him, he's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, so there's this other load going on. That's my other work. <laughs> and I think women uh, need to be clear with their partner at home, husband or wife, about what is it that they need. Because I what I notice is we don't have very clear conversations just generally, and then at home, We get a bit grumpy because we expect them to read our mind and uh, they can't. They're not that good. They're not magical unicorns. And we have to just say to them, here's what I need from you. And here's when I need it by knock yourself out. And I think sometimes women don't have that conversation because they don't want to rock the boat. But I'm like, oh, we need to have those conversations, especially if you need time to work on your business.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and that's often what people sacrifice because they're so busy. Like I remember my calendar was color coded for different highlighters for every kid and knowing who needed to be where, when, and when I needed help. And honestly, I probably could have asked for help a lot more often because what sacrificed was the business part. Oh, I'll get to it. I'll stay up a little bit later. I'll get less sleep. And it's, it takes a toll. It's taxing.
1: Yeah. And there's this, there's this thing called, I think it's called sleep revenge. Have you heard of it? No. It's like, it's basically for busy mums who instead of going to sleep, they stay up late just to get time to themselves at the end of the day. And so they sacrifice sleep in order to get time to themselves. But then the time to themselves ends up being scrolling down a rabbit hole on social media and then they feel annoyed at themselves because they've taken time to have time to themselves and then they've given it away down social media. So it's a whole study on it. I was fascinated when I found out. I'm like, I need to, I need to know about this. <laughs> I have
0: to do some research now. Uh, but it, it is fascinating because I've even known um, someone who shared with me, you know, she, she worked at eight o'clock, but she would get up when everybody was sleeping, get up about two till four, she would write a book. And she's written, you Now I think she's moving into her third book. But that was the time she carved out. She'd go to bed early, get a little bit of sleep in, get that, you know, two hours in. And they, she'd either go lay down for another two hours or she would um, just get up and start her day. But 2 a.m. till 4 is when she wrote her book.
1: Oh, see, I, I like my sleep too much, Deb. I couldn't, I could, literally could not do that. I'm like, I'm an eight hour girl. If I don't get eight hours, I'm cactus.
0: <laughs> and it's good for people to know that. You know, it's really like I, I can be at any time of day person. But when I'm up at mornings, like the 5am club, 530am. It's so serene. I have that whole house to myself. And if you can get up just an hour or two before everyone else. Yeah, just get that focus on who you want to show up as in the day and who you're being. Which leads me to talk about one of my most favorite topics is the growth mindset. And I'd love to just get your perspective on what that growth mindset is and how people can develop that even if they maybe don't have it right now
1: yeah yeah I think it's really interesting when I did the research I mean um you would already know that Carol Dweck coined the phrase back in 1997 with her book and what I found fascinating when I started researching for my book was well actually what I thought was I had a fixed mindset and as I went through the book I'm like I don't have a fixed mindset and so um she basically says that um failure is an opportunity to grow and say things like i tried new things or i'm inspired by the success of others yeah and then a fixed mindset is failure is the limit of my actual abilities and i stick to what i know when i'm frustrated i give up my potential is predetermined and i don't know whether it's Because I think it's a useful belief to have or not. And I don't know, have you read that book, Useful Belief by Chris Helder?
0: No, I haven't read
1: that one. It's a great book and it's all about what's the most useful thing you can believe regardless of whether it's true or not. And for me, the growth mindset, I think I like the story better than a fixed mindset. And I think having a growth mindset is about trying new things and knowing that you're going to fail. And Simon Sinek put something out the other day, which was not about fail; it's about fall. So you fall and then you get back up. And I like that much better than fail. Yeah. 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 And so I like the I like. I like
0: you're getting up off
1: the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Whereas if you just fall, what do we say to our kids? Hop up! Just jump up! Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, don't stay that down there for too long. So what I love about the growth mindset is that it almost challenges you to try new things, to um, be better than the person you were yesterday. It's the one percenters, and I love the one percenters. I don't know if you've read um, Atom- Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah, Fabulous book! I got to meet him. He's so tall. He's like six foot seven in real life, and I'm five foot two. So it was quite <laughs> interesting. <laughs> but uh, I love the thing that he's saying about just the one percenters. Do the one percenters, and just do them on an incremental basis. And I know after listening to your podcast that you're really keen on the one percenters as well, because that the incremental changes make a difference over time. It's like compound interest, isn't it?
0: It is absolutely. And you know, it's interesting, like. I can think of the people who do have a fixed mindset in my life,
1: and Yes. I, I
0: can be able to pick them up very quickly because they don't want to attempt anything because they're already afraid that they're going to fail, or they got comfortable that they're like, mm, you know "I know I'm good at this." Yeah,
1: but I feel like that's just so boring. Right. What do? Try something new. Try new. I mean, when I was a kid, I was. I loved to roller skate. I didn't like rollerblading. Roller skating was my thing. I was a child of the 70s and I really wanted just to, you know, roller skate. Anyway, um, last year I was sitting there thinking, what did I love to do as a kid that if I could do now I'd bring back? So I went and bought a pair of skates and I have started roller skating again. And I think if you had a fixed mindset, you probably wouldn't pick that. Up and do that again. But not only have I started to roller skate, I'm like, what are the things that I want to do? I want to to try speed skating. I want to skate backwards. Uh, And those two things I can't do on my own. I have to hire a roller skating coach to help me do those things. And I think that's the thing. When people are thinking about working with me, it's because they want to grow. It's because they want to learn. It's because they really want to step into their potential. It's not because they want to sit there. And, and certainly when I have calls with people, if they, the number one thing I say to them is I'm all about results. Whatever the results are for you, it might be revenue, it might be growth, it might be whatever it is for you, I'm interested in those results. If you are not interested in results, we will drive each other nuts because I'm going here and if you're not ready and my clients tell me the feedback is, yeah, and you're not really a coach for the faint-hearted. <laughs> I think that we because went into I
0: coaching, did. right? We didn't go into coaching to pussyfoot foot around and walk on eggshells around our clients if we truly want to hold them accountable for the results that they want.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it's a really good filter for me because if people don't want to work that hard, then don't come work with me.
0: Yeah. And you know, I I had one of my clients who hired me and I said, "So what made you choose?" Me? And she said, you know, I see you constantly challenging yourself to new levels. And that's what I want for myself.
1: Ah, so interesting, isn't it? Yeah.
0: So anytime I think, oh, should I do that? Why not? (laughs) You know? Um, And the other thing that I know is, you know, I went to take my son to university and just he and I went and he didn't want to go bike riding with me in this adventure area of a canyon of this park. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to stop myself from having fun. I'm yeah. go. I said, just drop me off, come back, pick me up later. And I had quite the adventure. But also at the same time, that pride that I don't let other circumstances hold me back from something I truly desire.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think that's super important. But I also think that comes with a self assuredness right? It's like you know yourself well enough. Um, that you can do those things and it's okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you know, surrounding yourself with the people who encourage and support you is really important. Yeah. Um, tell me, how, how do you choose who you surround?
1: Yourself with? Yeah. Well, you know, and now over the years, this has changed, right? Because when I was in an organization, I had people that were within an organization. And when I stepped out of my on my own, I was like, okay, I need a new support crew because the crew that I had don't aren't going to understand my journey going forward. And so I kind of, um, there's a great book by Janine Garner, it's called It's Who You Know, and it's about who are the people that have your back, they're your cheerleaders, they're your butt kickers, who are those people that I can surround myself with? And my first two or three years of business, I had those people around me. I had two coaches because I'm quite high maintenance. <laughs> Um, And so I really wanted to uh, grow the business really, really quickly. And then it occurred to me, actually, I need new people because you take it to another level. And the other thing that I realized was that um, I was known in a certain circle as Emma McQueen, um, corporate citizen. And when you move out of that and you have your own business, These people still want you to be that person and you're not that person anymore. So I think it's really important to know when you go, actually, that's not me. That's not where I'm going. That's a past version of me. And that took a bit of time for me to work through the grieving and what that meant. And and I'm still friends with those people, but they're not my support crew anymore. So I think it's working out what's my goal, who's my support crew, and I always look for people who are ahead of me. I want to be the person in the room that's like the baby person in the room so I can learn. Because a lot of the communities that I have, I'm the person in the room that is teaching. And so I think it's really important to know what's my goal and what support crew do I need around me for that? Because, you know, Jim Rowan says you're the some of the five people you hang out with. And so got to get those people right. But I'm curious, Deb, what do you do?
0: So, you know, it's interesting you ask that to me because, you know, I work with, the same type of vision that you do you know you're surrounding with someone who's ahead of you i was listening to a podcast with mark divine on his unbeatable mindset podcast and he was talking with dove baron and they were talking dove was saying that every so long and i've learned to shake this up now that you should be surrounding yourself with people who do not think like you Yes. Every so often, you get into that muddiness of being challenged for your assumptions and your beliefs, and it's amazing how you can integrate new beliefs, challenge some assumptions that you once held, and how you move forward from that. When you meet with those people are ahead of you, you now can even be their teachers as well.
1: Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? I'm listening to um, "Think Again" by Adam Grant.
0: I have that too.
1: So I'm listening to an audio and I'm up to, I'm up to chapter five. I don't know how many chapters there are in the book and he's talking about exactly the same thing. It's good to have. So we've um, not done ourselves any favors by talking about conflict and he's saying, let's talk about, let's debate, right? Where we both come with these intentions and we swear off and we're task focused. So we're fighting about the task but at the end of the day, we're going have a beer together. And uh, surrounding yourself, the stories in his book, if you're reading it, you would know the stories in his book around getting to an outcome is better when there's disagreement. So, yes, it really resonates for me right now.
0: That first chapter just sucked me in. So oh, yes. Grant, if you're listening to us or any of <laughs> your fans, um, think again really just got me in the first chapter with the smoke jumpers and realizing that if people didn't listen to a leader who was thinking differently it did cost them their lives yes now, not all leadership can cost you your lives but it can cost opportunity it can cost money it can cost resources and knowing how much opportunity still exists when you can push through that limiting belief that you hold
1: yes absolutely oh how cool that we're reading the same book yeah. at the same
0: <laughs> i think mean, that's fascinating and uh and it's so important to have the right people but also to be able to challenge your beliefs because you sometimes we don't even know when we get complacent we get so comfortable
1: yeah and one of the things he talks about in his book is it's okay to change your mind and i'm from corporate where no one changes their mind they the go down this path, plan. yeah. They go down this path because this is the way it's always been done, and they don't change their mind. And then they lose millions of dollars, and they wonder why. And it almost gave me permission to go. I, I see some people changing their mind, and my thing was, are they being flaky? But now I realise actually they were the smart person in the room because they were taking in new data. And changing their mind as they go it's about flexibility and agility of mindset so yeah it's been a great read for me <laughs> yeah
0: no I'm really enjoying it still have a lot more to go so you're a little bit ahead of me but I would really love to have another discussion with you about the so it would be really cool. so what do you do to motivate yourself
1: yeah that's a good question uh well so in my top five, out of my top five strengths, have you done any Clifton strengths? Yes.
0: Uh, it's been a while, but yeah, I have.
1: Okay. That's so my top
0: my labels are I have to look in my
1: book. Okay, so my top five strengths, um, not in this order because I can't quite remember, although I know the first one. The first one is achiever. Um, so I just get lots of stuff done and I've got a high capacity for work. But then in my other two, and my top five is focus and discipline. And I feel like that's such a gift for me, the gift of discipline. So we've got this thing, Serena and I. So Serena is my calendar guru. She, if it's not in the diary, it doesn't get done. My diary is color-coded in a way that I know how to, I'm going to use my energy. So it's color-coded for delivery, but it's also color-coded so I know, holy dooly, I've got a lot of delivery. I need to manage my energy that week. Um, and then... Um, I always go back to my why. My why is to impact women all over who have potential and help them get paid what they're worth. That's my impact that I want to have on women, whether or not they believe it yet or not. And sometimes my client feedback is, I didn't believe it, but you believed it for me. And now I believe it. I've kind of caught up and I think that's lovely. And so I think for me, it's about habits, putting those small steps in place, and habit stacking, you know, so making sure that you've got those. For me, it's really important to have good bedtime routines of an evening and in the morning and making sure that my meditation stays up there, that I'm taking regular breaks, that I'm disciplined and it's in the diary and I've got those habits built in because motivation fades. And I've never seen motivation fade like I have over the last 18 months while we've been in the middle of a pandemic. And I saw an article, there was an article that was posted in 2020 and reposted in 2021 about languishing, you know, that word about just, oh, this is hard work, right? And if I didn't have those habits in play, I would feel that way as well. But that's not how I feel. Actually, how I feel is it's all good. And I can do hard things and we can all do hard things to get out of this. But without my habits, I don't think I could. So I think habits for me is a really important thing. And it's such a small thing. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, Emma, that's common sense. And it is common sense. It doesn't make it easy to do.
0: No, and it's really about putting that 1% greatly, that one degree difference, putting in the extra rep. One of the things that I took on during this 18 months was the 75 hard with Andy Frazella. That was challenging. What is that? So it's a program that is called 75 hard and it is 75 days of working out twice a day, 45 minutes each. One must be outside. Pages of personal development, four liters of water. Um, you need to see a congress pick every day. You don't need to post it anywhere, and yeah, it could be visualization. I'm trying to remember what it is offhand, but um, it water was the biggest thing for me. You know, getting past two liters of water was huge for me. And your workout didn't have to be lifting weights all the time, you could have did two walks a day, one on a treadmill and one outside, or, you know, you could have lifted weights in the morning or did yoga in the morning, and then, you know, did something outside, rode a bike, or went skating, you know, So, so it was very interesting how that discipline of building that discipline, oh, and you had to follow a diet of your choice, that was the other thing. And it didn't matter what it was, but it was of your choice. And it could could have been hamburgers. What's that? So it could have been hamburgers? I guess. You know, but it was your choice of diet. Okay. I chose clean eating. And it was incredible to see what I was made of. I was doing with a group of group of other women and how we pushed each other and challenged each other. And you know, if we felt like we were falling off, someone would say, Hey, come on, you gotta get that workout in. Or if you haven't seen my face on the page. You know, we may create a little book for ourselves. It's like, make sure you nudge me, make sure that I do it. Or, you know, someone would fall asleep reading the book. And it's like, okay, oh, no, you gotta get up, you gotta do this before the end of the day. And that progress pick had to be taken before you put your head down at night. Okay. Yeah. So it is Andy um, dot dot com. And he's out of the US. But it really challenged me in the way I thought about habits. And it yeah. really is about how consistent can you be? How disciplined can you be? And people are like, well, I like spontaneity. Well, so do I. But there's mm-hmm. still room for that. Great. And you can say, okay, this evening, I've got all my work done. I've got my workouts in. I've got the water in. I can go do whatever. And no alcohol. There's another one. Sorry. For those 75 days, you couldn't do um, any alcohol. And then there was a phase one, two, and three where there was a cold shower for five minutes, visualization for 10, getting in some journaling. So it really was about how can we develop ourselves into the person we want to be. I love that. It is interesting because it made me think about the way I coach clients and, you know, and why do people choose to have a coach? And I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Why do people choose to work with a coach or not work with a coach, whether it be personal or business? Because you know, often what I find is people will say, Well, I just want to work for you for business. But what we end up talking about a lot is how their personal stuff is leading to an impact on their business. But I would love your take.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think in the US, the coaching market, people are more open to coaching, maybe. Um, I don't know if you uh, uh, have interviewed many of Australian coaches, but I think it's like a baby service here in Australia. Still, I feel in some respects, and I also feel like, how can I put this delicately? There's a lot of males that are coaching in Australia, and I'm not sure they're understanding all the issues that a women woman has to. Bring to the table. And so I think um, it, I'm delighted to see coaching getting a little bit more traction here in Australia. I wish it had the same traction in the US, um, but I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. I think the other thing is um, coaching is fairly, I don't know if it's in the US, but it's fairly unregulated here in Australia. And so there are some people who are like, I've done a two-day course and now I'm a coach. And I think, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, 20 years, but that's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, so I think, I think, firstly, it's about what does a coach even do? You know, you can have a life coach, a business coach, a personal coach, a physical coach, you know, a personal. I, I call myself a personal trainer for the brain. And I think it's about actually getting it out there. What does a coach do? What will, they, what will they bring to a relationship? But interestingly, over the last couple of weeks, for some reason, we've had lots of inquiries about business coaching. And I'm like, where are they coming from? And I ask, like you do, where have you heard about me? And <laughs> the answer, I just typed in Melbourne, in Google, Melbourne, Business executive coach, and you popped up, and I thought I must be doing something right for positioning, then (laughs) visibility. Exactly. (laughs) Them to be wanting a coach. Normally, they're stuck. Like I had a conversation with someone yesterday. I said, "Where are you at?" And they're like, "I am stuck." Here's what I help people do. I shouldn't need a coach. I'm like, "Okay, you're beating yourself up a bit. Don't worry too much about it." And I said, "The irony of this situation is that you're too close to your situation. I can see very clearly a pathway out of this." And she's like, why can't I do that? I'm like, because you're in it. <laughs> and so I think, I think it's when you get stuck and you're like, where can I go? And you look around. And yesterday, this woman looked around and went, I only have a support network that is startups. And I'm about to hit a mill. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to do next. And it goes back to that village thing about having the right support at the right time with your right goal. Exactly. And so I think... People mainly come to me because they're stuck or over in sitting in overwhelm.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember when I first time I hired my coach, I had uh, went into a business venture, get some debt, and what did I do? I went and hired an expensive coach. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what I learned was so much. But one of the first things I remember telling her is, I said, "You know what?" I feel like I'm standing still, spinning my wheels and not going anywhere. Yes. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm telling her all these things to doing. And she's going, what are you talking about? You are creating that, that traction. But my part of it was that I needed to have some of the patience that went with it. <laughs> so it was a really uh, great learning experience to work with a coach. And to understand where, you know, there's parts where the beliefs I was holding about the results that I was getting. And that's Mm. why I think, you know, when people reach out to hiring a coach, a coach is so much more than what you think you're going to get. Yes. Anytime I have had my own coach, it's really thinking about... Okay, what am I going to expand myself to now that I never allowed myself before?
1: Because I didn't even know what I didn't know. Yeah, I totally agree. It's all, you know what? It always comes back to mindset. It really always comes back to mind, doesn't it? And I say to my clients, you know, it's 80% mindset and 20% implementation. Just you've got to keep the mindset. And, you know, like things are amazing, but it always comes back to mindset. And my clients are like, don't want it to always come back to mindset. I'm like, I know, but that's just,
0: Told you from the beginning. So one of the things I really I want to showcase all of what you offer, um, Emma, is the Tea with the Queen. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Look, first of all, um, we do a lot of things on a play on my name, right? And Tea with the Queen is a podcast where I interview lovely women. I've interviewed one male the producer of my podcast, because he's amazing. His name's Chris Ashmore and he produces all the podcast and he's a podcast purist. So no video, Emma, got to have the right mic in a studio, yada, yada, yada. So he's wonderful. And the segments, the point was, let's sit down and have a cup of tea together, 20, 30 minutes. Um, And it's been amazing to the amount of inspiring women that come onto that podcast and their different stories. And it's just been an incredible way for me to impact more women and for them to think, wow, they've done it. I couldn't do it. And um, it's it's been a really lovely thing to be able to open up the airwaves as you do and just bring people on and Even just having them on the show, you can see their confidence grow, even though they're already confident and well-established women, you can just see their confidence grow. And that's what I love about it.
0: When you see an empowered woman, man, she can own the place. (laughs) There's that aura, right? When she walks into the room that people notice. She doesn't even have to announce herself. It's kind of like watching Cinderella when she walked in with the ball gown. It's like that confident woman is, that's how she's showing up. And she knows what she wants. It's totally clear, and she's going to get the results that she wants. And look, you know, Cinderella gets the prince, but when we come into business, we're going to get the profit, the ROI, the resources, or whatever it is that we are looking for. Correct. Correct. Okay, here's yeah. some of the big questions that I ask all my guests. And, okay. You know, what is one book that has impacted who you are? Based off in business?
1: Hands down, I think, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman.
0: Interesting. How, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about
1: that. Uh, so he talks about five love languages and it's about, it, originally he did it for married couples. So it's basically my husband see, speaks French and I speak Italian and how are the two going to meet basically? And he talks about five, we all have one of the languages that's a bit more dominant. So the five are, well, let me see if I can get this right, gifts physical touch, words of affirmation, acts of service, and quality time. So we all like one of these things. And so if my hubby likes gifts and I'm giving him words of affirmation, it's like French and Italian. But if I like gifts and he likes receiving gifts, beautiful. So it's about actually knowing the the other person and what their style is. But why I like it in business as well is because people are human at the end of the day. And Gary went on to write a few books, a few other books, so Love Languages in Business and Love Languages with Kids. Um, And so for me, I'm always trying to figure out what's the love language of my client, what's going to allow them to blossom, you know. And some clients just need more words of affirmation. They need more encouragement just to hit those goals. Some clients needs a big once they've hit that revenue mark, right? And some clients just need a bit of a kick up the bum. So I think the the thing for me is about if I can um, weave my business values, which are kindness and generosity, through everything that I do and I meet people where they're at and I focus on their love language, I actually think it gets a better result. But I think that that's, that's the book that I recommend to my clients. And some of them do look at me like I'm a bit of a unicorn when I, I'm like, I know it's not a, strictly a business book, but this book has changed my life. So if Gary Chapman, if you're listening, there you go.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I read that book and it is a phenomenal book. And the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. That's right. You have. Um, yes. Now, what does it mean to you to be rich from the inside out? Wow, that's a good question. To rich from the inside out. For me, I think that's about contentedness, but
1: not just being content, being joyful and grateful, right? I think that success is measured in so many different ways and I think if we're just measuring it by revenue or profit or whatever, then we're missing a bit. And I think sometimes we forget to look at the look at simple things and realize how much joy it brings. You know, like just sitting on the grass, standing on the grass and with the sun streaming on your face, or watching a butterfly do its thing, or I think it's about taking moments to just be grateful for what you have and having that joy, you know, and it permeates, I think through everything that you do. And so I think for me, Rich on the inside out would be around just bringing that, having that joy and bringing that joy.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Emma, let us know how people can work with you, how they can stay in touch with you and order you in so many different ways.
1: Oh, thank you well i'm at emma R. mcqueen on my instagram and i have a website web page obviously which is emma uh, and people work with me in a few different capacities um, i have a program here in melbourne which is face to face but i do one-on-one coaching all over the globe uh, and People can connect to Tea with the Queen through Apple Podcasts. That's a good way of doing it. And I also have a book called Go Getter. They can get their hands on that through Amazon or through the website. There's so many ways to work with me.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Awesome. And I just want to thank you for spending time with us here on the Millionaire Woman Show. It is such a treat to be able to, like I said from the very beginning, it's an organic conversation like we're at the dinner table. And it has been a complete delight to spend this time with you. So, thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And what I've realized, I've been listening to your podcast for a while, and what I've realized is they're quite similar.
0: (laughs) We are. Maybe I have to come on your show. (laughs) I think so. I would love that. I would love that. So, you know, totally synergistic. I really enjoyed this time together. And those of you who are listening and watching, you know, take a snapshot of where you're listening. I always love when people, you know, they'll take a snapshot and they'll tag the, the guest and myself and say, this is what I'm taking away from this. This is how it's shifted my thinking. And it is so powerful when we can see those results that something resonated with you. So we'd love for you to do that as well. Now, if you're watching us on YouTube, you know, hit the bell. So you subscribe, don't miss a single episode, but comment below. Because, you know, Emma and I are going to be checking things out to make sure that we've made that impact that we want to make in the world with you. Thank you again, Emma, for coming on the show. Like I said, it has been a complete delight. And I look forward to seeing where our paths will cross again. I might have to make a trip to Melbourne.
1: Yes, please do. Thank you so much for having me. What a delight.
0: (laughs) It was so much fun. Thank you, everyone, for coming to the Millionaire Woman Show. Please go over to my website at www.debrakakowski.com. That's with an S, -S -S D-E-B-R-A-K-A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. Where you can get your three-part video course of Making Habits Stick. Not for much longer, I've decided it is time to change things up. So you want to scoop that up as soon as possible. And like I said, if you're listening on the podcast, whether it be Apple, iTunes, your favorite podcast player, Hit subscribe, rate, review, and uh, join us again here on the Millionaire Woman Show. As Mohammed Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And as always, go out and make today great.